This is Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Welcome to Be Heard Talk, a political podcast that adds a sprinkle of trap music, Beyonce, and Asada Secure to unflavored news. Each Sunday, we discuss race, politics, and culture from a Black millennial perspective. And for the next several weeks, we are happy to announce that we partner with Black Enterprise as our official media sponsor as we unpack the 2020 election and its impact on the Black community. My name is Selena Hill, and I'm the digital editor at Black Enterprise and also the founder of Be Her Talk. I am super happy to be here with you guys. And today we're talking about voter suppression and what needs to be done to make sure that our community is protected at the polls this November. Later on, I will introduce to you Latasha Brown. She's the co-founder of Black Voters Matter to the show. But for now, let me kick it back to my co-host, Stanley Fritz, to introduce himself and to get this show started. Selena Hill with the baby hoop earrings. What's going on? This is Stanley Fritz. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. Actually, my Twitter is suspended until Monday at 12 p.m. So you can really? Again? All right, let's not talk about <laughs> um, You can find me on my burner account, Dark Skin Swindle. That's why I brought it back, Dark Skin Swindle on Twitter. And if you're extra bored, go to Snapchat. You can find me as Dark Skin Swindle there, too. But I don't post a damn thing. And I'm really excited to be here today. Shout out to Black Enterprise. Shout out to Tammy with the bang on Zeckington today. What's going on, beloved? Hello. I'm so glad you noticed my bang. I want to shout you out for being a moisturized, glowing, ethereal, brightly lit, dark-skinned baddie. We are so happy to have a dark-skinned baddie on the team. And I'm obsessed with this aesthetic. So everybody, follow us at Be Heard Talk. And why don't you drop a compliment in our DMs right now. Tell Stanley how good he's looking. Anyway, y'all, what's up? My name is Tammy David. I'm Be Heard Talk's problematic fave that loves to run her mouth and get people upset. Um, if you want to follow me on IG, you can, at Ms. David, if you nasty, keep up with my shenanigans, or on Twitter, at Comrade Tammy, if you really don't care about your timeline's well-being. Um, today, I'm very, very happy because I just secured an apartment back in Harlem, so I'm about to be an uptown hottie once again by our headquarters, and I'm really excited about this evening's verses because I am really into that old-school Funkalicious mommy auntie vibe music. So I'm very happy and excited about today's show. I also want to shout out Black Enterprise for giving us this opportunity to partner with them. Thank you so much. It is amazing to work with so many talented Black journalists, Black media specialists, and our very own Black icon, Selena. Hi, y'all. Black icon, that's that's a that's a big one. <laughs> you are a black icon. You need to get used to it. Oh, thank you, Tammy. Appreciate that. Before we get to today's main story about voter suppression, uh, I'm happy to lead y'all into the News Roundup, which is a weekly showing of stories that made us stressed, pressed, and possibly a little depressed. Um, today, we're going to talk about Black excellence in women and why we can't just be great. We're going to have some fun with old school vibes. And unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about the next wave of Black Lives Matter protests because they just won't leave us alone. First, I want to start with a smile. Something is for the aunties today. So y'all better check on your mamas tomorrow morning because this evening, the latest verses is none other than legends Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight. The captions let us know to dress in our Sunday best because we're going back to school and even us youngins are here for it. So whether you plan to pop a hip, to love overboard or shimmy to new attitude, this, I think, might be the throwback of all the throwbacks on Versus thus far. Stanley, given that the two women are longtime friends and Patti LaBelle calls Gladys Knight her idol, do you think this is even going to be competitive or is this just like a fun bop party wave? Well, first off, everyone wins in this situation over here. When you got two legends like this on, on IG Live and on Apple Music playing all their greatest hits, we all win. 
But because they're aunties and they're both divas, there's definitely going to be some competition. And there's definitely going to be some old black lady shade. Like, oh, your husband <laughs> passed away, right? So you alone now. Have a blessed day, sugar. <laughs> your nephew, he still got that drug problem? Oh, don't worry about that right now. And like, as Gladys plays this, come on, man. I can't wait for this. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for some old lady shades, some jams like that. And I don't know, you know, maybe some viral moments, some patty pies, which were overrated, by the way. Yes. Selena, are there any hits that you're excited about? What are you most excited to hear? Girl, can I just say that I'm an old soul. So when Versus announced that they were doing a Gladys Knight versus Patti LaBelle, I literally screamed through my phone oh. and, like, text my cousin to throw a party. And, like, that's what we're doing tonight. Like, I cannot wait. And shout out to Jeanette, too. Um, first of all, I cannot wait. I think some of the songs that I'm definitely looking forward to, um, besides their classics, I want to see them do a duet. Like, they did Superwoman back in 1991 together with Dionne Warwick. And, like, if they can sing that together, I think that would be, like, the highlight of my night. Of course, I want to see them do, uh, I want to see Gladys do On That Midnight Train to Georgia. I want to see Patty do um, Over the Rainbow. I want, like, it, there's so many classics. And, like, if you think about their longevity in the entertainment industry, right? They've been here for decades on end. Um, they can take us through genres. They can take us through like an evolution of music that, you know, Patty can do everything from Lady Mama Lot to New Attitude, which, you know, again, very different sounds, uh, but it's still, um, you know, very quintessential to who she is and who she was as an artist. So, I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. It's going to be a good time. I'm going to throw on my Sunday best. And we're gonna, we're just gonna party. Oh, I'm so happy to hear it. Shout out to Bianca in the comments. She's giving you suggestions for your party girl. She says sweet potato pie shots, yes. And we are entering fall weather, so that does sound fun. Um, unfortunately, I do think you're gonna need those shots when we talk about our next story, which is sort of breaking news from Friday. Unfortunately, we have another video that has surfaced of a brutal beating of a black man. Breaking news from News One, in a move that will keep protests on, protesters on the street and proves why we need police reform or abolition more than ever, has shown a Georgia officer on video beating an unarmed black man bloody and unconscious, all because he didn't have his ID. Whoa. The, video, the video was first posted to Instagram on Friday night by someone who said the victim was her cousin. And the post leaking the video stated that the man was a Lyft driver who was pulled over for a taillight out and could not provide his license to the officers who stopped him. The footage shows at least two officers smothering the man with their bodies on a street in an attempt to restrain him. And when one officer couldn't manage to place him in handcuffs, another repeatedly punched him in the face until he was not only bloody, but apparently unconscious. Par for the course lately, he was not shown as resisting, and this all happened as his young son watched. According to a press release, an officer with the Clayton County Sheriff's Office has been placed on administrative leave and investigation has begun within their internal affairs unit. So, Selena, I'm going to shoot it to you because I know you saw the video and you're the one who even yep. put, put us on this. Um, first of all, are you okay? Like, how are you feeling? What is your reaction to watching that video? First of all, like, trigger warning right like yeah. i shouldn't have watched that video but the nature of my job usually inclines me to watch these videos at black enterprise we readily um report on these incidents of black of, of police brutality against black and brown bodies all the time so for accuracy and you know integrity i normally watch the videos so before i cooked breakfast yesterday i was like i went on instagram real quick and I saw this video and like, I was so triggered. Um, I, I couldn't take it, but you, you know, it, it's, it was traumatizing to say the least. And the person who was in the video, I believe he has been identified as Roderick Walker. Um, as you mentioned, 
he was driving with his girlfriend and one of his children, he is a father of four, and you can hear the child screaming out, daddy, while these two police officers smother him, punch him in the face till he's bloody. He passed out two times. And I'm just like, and you hear this black woman filming it saying, officers, please get off this man. He said, I cannot breathe. You're going to kill him. Um, I, I literally lost it. I lost it. And what I put on Instagram live, I said, this is why we're ready to burn this nation down. I mean, this is why you see the riots. This is why you see, you know, the violence. This is, this is what this nation has taught us. And the only thing that it responds to, um, so as far as I know, only one police officer, I believe, um, as of now has been uh, placed on, uh, a paid, not unpaid administrative leave, and they did start and launch an investigation. But then again, we've seen this play out time and time again, where it's like, okay, someone's either on paid or unpaid administrative leave, they may go to trial, they may get acquitted. And, and it's just like, this whole system needs to be burnt down. I agree. Figuratively, figuratively. And when I say that, I just want to say that. As a token radical, I'm going to say literally, because like, it's crazy to me how in the middle, first of all, we're in the middle of a movement. Protests have not actually stopped from George Floyd, which mind you, was months ago. Then we have Breonna Taylor, who still hasn't gotten justice. Then we had Jacob Blake. We had Elijah McCain surface, Tony McDade. I mean, this is ridiculous that cops would have the gusto to do this when we are still dealing with the ramifications of other loose police forces as this is going on. Stanley, I'm gonna shoot it to you because I genuinely want your take as someone who works like in politics and you know got woke from the Black Lives Matter movement. What do you think the response is gonna look like, especially considering that we're still in the midst of the movement and we are very close to an election where the black vote is literally on the line? I, I wanna have some positive answers for you. I do not have any positive answers for you about the situation right now. Uh, I think Selena is 100% right. This is exactly why people write and burn everything to the ground because the fact of the matter is the police aren't just an occupying force of people who have a couple of bad apples. The police department, the entire policing industrial complex is rotten through and through. And they don't see how they're doing any wrong. So what's gonna happen is they're gonna put these people on administrative leave. They're gonna do an investigation even though we've all seen the video now. And then when people start protesting, the cops are gonna come out in riot gear and then agitate the protesters. And the mayor is gonna continue to cop please. And the fact of the matter is, Selena, I know you know you say metaphorically to burn it down, but no, we need to burn this down literally because that's the only time that they respond. And what I mean by that is completely defund and abolish the police and get rid of anyone who will sit and protect the police because the police in its bare essence is only here to destroy and violate and, and, and pretty much terrorize black lives. These police departments are not here for the community. They're occupying forces. They're many armies. And it's not healthy or safe at all. Word. And I just, I honestly want to shout out to like all my fellow radicals right now. There's been a lot of graphics going around that talks about abolition and the reason for abolition, which is that, you know, this always happens. The story comes out, people are outraged, they protest, and then there are weak reforms that are not enough. And because these reforms are not enough or they are not kept in place, the same incident keeps occurring. So abolitionists are saying, why do we keep trying the same tired methods? Why do we keep trusting politicians to solve this problem? And why do we keep trusting police officers and departments to actually unlearn problematic behavior? What we need to do as a society is just remove that entirely. And so, you know, it makes sense that people are calling for this. I just wanna say that in New York City, right? We banned chokeholds, and we did so on the heels first of Eric Garner and then more contemporarily within the city council, it passed as a measure of part of a packet of police reforms. However, um, public safety chair um, Donovan Richard, he has been on record as being one of the people that is actively rolling back or weakening the chokehold ban. And so what we're seeing in New York City is that the NYPD, which has kept its pressure and money on the council, uh, is successfully 
basically getting rollbacks. They're getting what they want this close to an election date. And it's incredible that the movement is still happening. We still haven't gotten what we wanted. We're still seeing these stories in the headlines and still politicians are not doing what they need to do. Yeah, I want to point out that Donovan Richardson is also running for Queensborough president and will probably win. And he was one of the most vocal people going out to Bill de Blasio when de Blasio was defending the cops. And after talking that spicy to the mayor, and running for borough president saying that like he's a black man who has experienced police violence. He's now looking to roll back a law that holds the police accountable because the police are refusing to do their jobs. Yeah. No other city agency can get away with that. None. You think the librarians can say we're not going to open up because you won't let us spit on people and the, city, and the city council would respond by saying, okay, you can spit on people. No, they would fire them. I yeah. want to point that out. Word, word. If you're tired of hearing about government agencies that are failing you, okay, wait till you get to this next story. It's about not only our government agencies failing us, but yet again, the president failing us in the most epic way of 2020 yet. Mm -hmm. um, for the biggest I told you so of the last four years, we have now just found out that Trump has admitted to intentionally downplaying the severity of the coronavirus pandemic as he was briefed in early months, telling Americans not to worry, this would not affect us, and this will go away in, quote, a few days. Bob Woodward, a well-known investigative journalist working with the Washington Post, is making headlines for receipts that have shaken the nation, even Trump's fan base. Weeks before the first confirmed U.S. coronavirus death, Trump spoke to Woodward saying that the virus was dangerous, airborne, highly contagious, and, quote, more deadly than even your strenuous flus. He says, this is deadly stuff on February 7th. And on March 19th, he told Woodward, I wanted to always play it down, even as he declared a national emergency over the virus a few days earlier. His reasoning? He didn't want to create a panic. The book Rage, using Trump's own words, depicts a president who has betrayed the public trust and the most fundamental responsibilities of his office. In Rage, Trump says the job of a president is to keep our country safe. So the startling revelations in Rage are absolutely, without a doubt, shocking and ironic. Through a series of 18 interviews that Trump gave, gave Woodward from December 5th, 2019 to July 21st, 2020, um, we've seen a number of audio, audio tapes, receipts, and unprecedented lies in the book. On his website, Rage is touted as an unprecedented and intimate tour de force of original reporting on the Trump presidency, with stunning new details about early national security decisions and operations, and Trump's moves as he faces a global pandemic, economic disaster, and racial unrest. Selena, I'm going to shoot it to you first because you're our journalist, basically. Why did Woodward wait until now to release this information to the public? Um. Okay, so first of all, and thank you so much for giving such an elaborate detailed report of what happened. I kind of feel like the narrative of how, you know, of, of this report and how detrimental it is to find out that our president knew how bad it was early on is being hijacked by the right wing. And for people who are like, okay, well, let's somehow cast blame or, or responsibility or accountability on Bob Woodward for doing his job. I've had this discussion offline with friends of mine and my response to that is when Woodward was doing these interviews back in February and March and hearing the president say this, we don't know at what stage he was actually at in getting all this information. So if he would have leaked this information to the press, let's say February or, 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 or March, he may not have been able to continue to his series of interviews with the president. So basically, meaning that he would not had the chance to continue to get this information to then give it to us. So that's one thing that as I don't know, and I don't know if um, he's revealed. Um, that's number one. Number two, I feel like President Donald Trump gave himself away. 
he continues to lie. He continues to, to gaslight. Um, Dr. Fauci, who was his head medical expert, was talking about the gravity of COVID-19 very early on and contradicting the president. We did not need a, a voice audio to hear him say, I'm downplaying it. If you were paying attention, you knew he was downplaying it and going against medical experts and his own officials on his administration. So that, that's another point. Number three, look, Bob Woodward was doing his job. If the president was going to be stupid enough to give these unfiltered interviews to a journalist who writes for the Washington Post, which is openly, openly left-leaning uh, in certain in many different aspects, um, I know Stanley's pushing back on that, but they don't claim to, to they don't claim to lean right. They don't claim to um, um, they don't support President Trump. So basically, if they were going to do that, um, if 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 Donald Trump understood that and, and he would not have even given those interviews. So I don't feel like Bob Woodworth is to blame. I don't, I'm happy that he gave us this information. Yes, he put it in a book, but I don't think it was unethical for him to continue to gather the facts, gather the information, make it make sense and put it in a cohesive body of work that yes, you have to pay for it to read, but, I, you know, he's still putting this information out there. I don't think it was anything wrong. Honestly, thank you for that take. Because I, I wasn't sure, like, how it works with leaking information, like, this pivotal. And so I didn't, like, in no way am I blaming him or do I think that he did anything unethical. I was just curious because I'm a Sagittarius. So if somebody says something big to me like that, I got to go tell the press, like, right away. That's so I was just curious. Stanley... Are you even surprised in the least? Were you one of those people who thought that Trump was lying to the public or were you one of those people who genuinely thought he was so stupid that he really didn't think it was a big deal? I thought he was so stupid he didn't think it was a big deal. And now that we know that he actually did know exactly what was going on and how big of a deal it was, um, I'm not surprised that he lied about it. I'm disgusted because 200,000 people have died we don't even know how many people are going to have life, lifelong like disabilities because of COVID. And we still don't have a vaccine. And he knew how dangerous it was and exactly the ways that it hurt you back in January, February. And he didn't say anything. I would prefer that Bob Woodward had said something. But it's not Bob Woodward's fault that the president is an idiot, an incompetent, unethical idiot who only cares about himself. It is not. So... I would have preferred that Bob Wood would say something, absolutely. But the, all the fault goes to the president who knew. The president knew. That's like, the president failed him at the most basic part of his job, which is protecting Americans. So he's the one that needs to be held accountable for this. I'm gonna shoot, um, I'm gonna shoot it to Selena to read some comments from our Black Enterprise family, because I wanna hear what y'all think about this. Absolutely. So Paul Taper Young said Bob did a good job. So he's actually uh, praising Bob for, you know, the job that he did in investigating this. We had some earlier comments also about marching and protesting as well, uh, which goes back to the er earlier story we were talking about. But I just want to, you know, I just want to add that when it comes to, you know, Bob Woodward getting the, the president on tape and saying this, there is no question in my mind that those in Trump's inner circle and those around him heard him say the same thing throughout the entire year of 2020 yeah. and probably even worse and refused to say anything because of their own self-interest. Thank God for Bob Woodworth for actually putting this forward and not taking a backhanded payoff to not put out the bill because things like that happen too. Yes, he's going to make a profit, but I'm pretty sure someone would say like, hey, we'll double that profit. You know, if if you don't put this information out. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there as well. I want to read one more comment from Facebook. Michelle Davis says, Bob did great. Telling the press was not his job. Trump doesn't think anyone but himself is a big deal. The virus he knew that our communities would suffer and what it, and what it would take for our people to get better. He's not worried about people of color at all. I think Trump is, I think um, Michelle is absolutely right. The Trump administration started pushing for folks to go back to work when it was clear that the COVID virus was directly impacting communities of color the hardest. Once we knew that, they were like, let's get back to work. They didn't care. This is not a surprise. This is why we need to get rid of these folks. 
Honestly, I think the one takeaway that I'm getting from this story is that especially with the election in mind, we, especially those of us on the left, need to stop seeing Trump as some bumbling idiot and start recognizing him for what he really is, which is a sinister psycho that is knowingly hurting our country and our communities and see him as a dangerous person. I think people see him as this bumbling buffoon idiot who's just mismanaging his way into greatness. But no, he's calculated. And now we have the receipts to prove it. Before we wrap up the news roundup, I'm gonna take y'all through one last story. Uh, welcome Latasha Brown. We can't wait to talk about voter suppression with you. But before we do, I wanna talk about some hotties trending in the media. For those wondering what light-skinned talent looks like, go no further than self-proclaimed gutta hood B from the South. Plugs, connections, aesthetic, and bars have us gagging over the mixed race hottie as she joins the XXL 2020 freshman cypher. She's collabing with some of our older and newer faves and giving us sex appeal and bad attitude. Several days this week, Mulatto was trending on Twitter, not just for clear vocal activism, like putting Breonna Taylor justice in her Twitter um, profile, as well as her video for MooWop, but for her XXL freestyle, and surprisingly, because some people don't think women are allowed to thrive unless they're in competition with each other. Being new, Black Twitter is now comparing her to another heavy hitter that came fast and fresh on the scene, impressing with hard and sexual bars. The hottie herself, Megan the Stallion. What? Despite this made up beef, the two baddies seem unfazed as Meg seems to be all about uplifting other black women and Mulatto is officially too booked and busy rising to the top. So I'm gonna start with you, Stanley. Do you think Mulatto is here to stay? Like, what do you think about old girl? Um, I'm happy to see more women in rap. That's always great. And like, this is probably the most like successful female rappers we've had in the game um, in a while. I really like Mulatto. I think people are ridiculous to say that, to like pit her and Megastein against each other because Megastein is a better rapper and just like overall better talent in my opinion. I, I know we talked about this offline, Tammy. I want to say I still feel weird about like her calling herself mulatto because I thought <laughs> that was like low key or a slur. And like I've said mulatto, but I'm usually being tongue in cheek when I say it. Okay, so I want to, I'm going to totally pivot this story because I want to talk about that. It is trending. Like, Selena, do you feel like it's problematic that she's called mulatto? Oh, that she named herself mulatto? Yeah. Um, I thought it was awkward. I thought it was odd, but I thought it was like pretty reflective of like younger millennials and Gen Z who like, you know, would feel, you know, self-righteous enough or to reclaim <laughs> terms or whatever. Like, hey, like I thought it was sort of something like that. Um, but yeah, like that term has deep roots, um, <laughs> uh, you know, particularly to, you know, the black South where, you know, you, if you were, you know, it has ties to colorism and the black South and the history behind it is like, if you were uh, of a lighter shade or a mixed race, you were called mulatto. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, to me, it kind of sounds like if she was calling herself colored instead of a person of color <laughs> or black. Yeah. I don't, but like, I mean, that, that's not the, I, I wouldn't say that's my biggest issue with, with mulatto whatsoever but i mean I'm, I'm glad that people are pointing out that that term does have a history behind it bruh this is happening right off like jessica krug admitting that she was lying about being black for mad years okay but you know what as the resident mulatto on this show i gotta say <laughs> i gotta say by the way for those who are listening i'm half white and half trinidadian so i am indeed mixed race and I actually grew up calling myself mulatto as well. Okay. And my family calls me mulatto because my father's side, they're Trini. They don't know anything really about like the American antebellum South. Like they don't know much about like American racism. So that was never really an issue in my family. It was always just a term of like, you know, they would say, you're not black, you're mulatto. You know what I mean? Because 
they didn't perceive me as being fully black because I'm not, even though I perceive myself as black. And so I'm shocked to see that there's so much backlash because she is mixed race. And like, to me, you know, the N word was also really problematic and used in the South and black people have reclaimed that. We call each other the N word all the time. And so I don't feel like it's weird for someone of mixed race heritage to take back a mixed race slur and kind of use it to be an empowered hottie. Could I make one Fair more enough. comment on this, Jamie? Mm -hmm. It's like, I think about mulatto, I think that like you're admitting that like, you know, some unnecessary stuff happened to your ancestor. Mm. Mm. So that's why I get a little weird about it. And like, that's the way it was considered in Haiti during the Haitian revolution, the mulattoes were the blacks, with the black people who um, were born from mixed race relationships that were or were not consensual, and they had more power than the regular black folks, but they still were not seen as whole people. So, to Stanley's point and to your point as well, Tammy, the term mulatto has different cultural connotations sometimes negative, sometimes positive. But I'm happy that we are exploring the history behind this word because of the rapper mulatto. So, shout out to her. There we go. Regardless, just to wrap this story, Mulatto is a fierce talent that is spearheading ahead on the charts. And if you haven't heard her, you should check her out. Don't pay any mind to petty Twitter beef because Mulatto is here, she's educating us, and she's dropping bars. So I have high hopes for this freshman hottie. Now, thank you guys so much for listening to the News Roundup. As always, we would love it if you would connect with us and interact at Be Heard Talk across all social media platforms. Let us know what stories got you thinking, and maybe it'll be featured next week. So, Selena, take us away for the main segment. Thank you so much for that, Tammy. Uh, the 2020 election is crucial. I think most of us have know that and have accepted that our lives literally depend on it and yet and still the black vote is under attack. Why? Because we have a powerful role to play in this year's elections and forces of darkness are trying to suppress our vote by any means necessary. For instance, we're seeing voter suppression strategies continue to play out like restricting registration, closing polling stations and limiting early voting. According to the Brennan Center for Justice, from the years 2016 to 2018, states across the country dropped over 17 million people from voting rolls. On top of that, over 200,000 eligible voters were in, inappropriately removed from voting rolls in Georgia. Meanwhile, since Republicans took control of Wisconsin in 2010, they passed some of the most aggressive voting restrictions in the nation, including voter ID laws and reduced time for early voting. It is no accident that many of these measures disproportionately affect Black people. On top of that, we are now targets in what is called information warfare. There are campaigns designed to discourage turnout in our community. In fact, Robert Mueller's investigation of the Russian interference in the 2016 election revealed that African Americans were targeted more than any other group by Russian intelligence. Some of those tactics include creating fake accounts on social media of people pretending to be Black people. And fun fact, Black Enterprise, actually, uh, we did a, a full-blown report that was comprised by Samara Lynn last year. We found, uh, Samara Lynn, we found Black, uh, fake accounts of Black people pretending, a fake account of a person pretending to be Black in order to influence the election. So definitely look that up on Black Enterprise. Um, meanwhile, Earlier this year in the primaries, we saw long lines in places like Georgia, Kentucky, Wisconsin, and New York, making it even more apparent that these forces are trying to steal the election. So on today's show, we're discussing the power of the Black vote and what needs to be done to protect it. And to help us in this conversation, we are very pleased to welcome Latasha Brown. She is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. She is also a fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. Plus, she is the co-founder of the Hip Hop Political Education Summit. Now, this is a virtual event that talks about the importance of voting. It's taking place September 22nd, which is National Voter Registration Day, and it will be live streamed on Revolt. Welcome so much to the show, Latasha. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. You all all right, you all set the tone. I was listening. I was like, ooh, that's a good conversation. I was like, I, I got all kinds of thoughts about that. But thank you for having me here. Thank you. Absolutely. We are so happy to have you here. And I actually want to start this conversation by just asking how much of a threat is voter suppression to the black community come November? Yeah, I think that voter suppression is the number one threat to democracy in general. I think in American democracy, as you said, think about it, in two years, 17 million people, that's a lot of people. And then when you really break down how it was targeted, when you look at exact match, there's something called exact match that however you uh, f sign your voter registration card, that you're supposed, anytime you're signing from your absentee ballot down, if you don't sign it exactly like that, like for sometimes I, sometimes I actually sign my name with my initials. Sometimes I don't. I'm not consistent with it, right? And most people aren't, but they can actually look at your signature and just decide, and they're not signature experts, and just decide it's not you. When you look at 80% of those who were dropped from the rolls from their signature, they were people of color. So we're not making this up. It's like my grandfather said, if it looks like a duck, quack like a duck, it's a duck. We're not making it up that the black vote, it has been targeted and under attack. And so we're still seeing that. I think that we can overcome that. But the truth of the matter is that we are fundamentally dealing with voter suppression. And the way that we've got to deal with voter suppression, I think it's three things. I think it's a short term and there's long term. In the short term, y'all, we got to get it. I don't have any other way to put it that ultimately part of what we get confused is we start having this conversation about voting. Let's have a real conversation about voting. Like the conversation about voting for black folks is usually around, we got to participate. Voting ain't about participation. Voting is about power. Mm. Let me say it again. Voting is about power. And I'm raising that because I think it's important for us to really shift this conversation. Oftentimes, even when we're doing work on the ground, you know, I've met folks that say, you know, um, I don't know about this candidate. I don't know about this candidate. I don't know. Perhaps there are other people on this, um, on this call that have had this opportunity. I have never voted for the perfect candidate. Now, those of you that have, please tell me when and where and how that happened. For me, voting is really about being strategic. It is a tactical strategy to reduce the harm in my community because at the end of the day, I am protective to those that I love, that those that community that I grew up in, and I'm not leaving anything on the floor. Like some folks say, if I go to the floor and I play a game, I'm taking everything off the table. I'm not leaving any power on the table. And so fundamentally, we gotta be honest about a couple things. One, we've gotta be honest that voting is not the panacea. It is not the end all, it's not the be all. Voting is not gonna solve all the problems. It is not, it is very limited. But we also have to recognize on the flip side of that is that voting is a tool. Mm. It is a key, it is a tool. Just like there are folks that say, well, money will solve all my problems. No, it won't, <laughs> right? But money sure will help literally alleviate some of the things in our lives that we need. It is a tool, it, we use it as a tool. The same thing with voting. Voting is not the, the, the answer to everything, but it is a tool. So I do think that when we're looking at this next election cycle, voter suppression is an issue, but there are ways that we can deal with it. Latasha, can I just say you preaching a good word today? You came here like I just love the energy. Uh, Bianca left a comment in our Zoom. She says Latasha is looking so on point. Hair, makeup, backdrop, everything. So I just oh, well, to, I just wanted to say that along with the energy, you do look great, and I love that voter pin that you have here. Mm. Um, you know, I do want to I want to just take it back because these voter suppression tactics that we've seen. They're historic, you know, Republicans in particular and those who are trying to suppress the black vote, they've been doing this for a long time, for decades and for generations. I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about why is it that they continue to be so successful? Like we've seen this play time and time again, and yet and still, it's still happening in 2020. So a couple of things. One, I'm glad you asked that. One, let me say this. While the Republicans have been the most egregious in this, we've also experienced this in the past with Democrats as well. I'm raising this because I need us to really understand that voter suppression is about power. It's about Black people, those who have wanted to eliminate um, and to limit Black people and having political power in this country. What they have done is they've used this as a tool, right? And so on some level, if you got logic, right, if on some level you need to recognize why would it so much effort go into suppressing the black vote if it didn't have some value or some power? So that's why it's always happened. We've got to really be able to shift our paradigm of how we see the vote. I don't know if I could say it has been, I can say it has been 
um, insidious. It has been ongoing and consistent. It hasn't been as successful um, as they would like it to be. And this is what I mean, that there's two things that I like to raise. One, I like to raise that folks are saying, well, black folks need to vote. The truth of the matter is, out of all the hell that we go to, go through to really be able to get the right to vote, all of what we go through to stand in line for hours, black people actually vote on par with our white counterparts. Let me tell you why that's significant. That based on they've received the, the majority of the financial, the political, economic benefits in this country, the fact that we're voting on par is not a testament of America, it's not a testament to them, it's a testament of us. That fundamentally in our community, we have self-organized and seen this as a tool. Now, does that mean that we need to do more? Absolutely. But we've got to literally be able to recognize that while there have been these strategies to support press the vote. There have been people in organizations like me, organizations that that I actually pattern my work after who have been beating the doors down to make sure that we're actually offsetting that. And that's why it's so important that we're supporting groups that are doing this kind of work. I think the reason why it is, why we're seeing it grow and expand is because America, you know, by 2050, it is projected that America will be a majority quote, none, a majority non-white country. Right. Democracy sounds good when you got the numbers on your side. Right. But when people of color right now, all of a sudden people get all shaky about democracy. Right. And so my, my point is we literally have the numbers on our side is a matter of us strategically and tactically using them. And there's a couple of things why I think that to the extent that it has been able um, to be successful in those times that it has one, there's no accountability. Let's look at Georgia. Here it is a governor the governor of Georgia, here's a man who was a secretary of state that was entrusted to literally be able to have a process to have equal access to the ballot. What did he do? He abused his power. He, we know now that 200,000 folks in the state of Georgia were dropped off the rolls that were, were illegally dropped off the rolls that should have been able to vote in the last election cycle. But what happened to him? He actually got a promotion. He's now the governor because there's no accountability. So I think part of the reason why it has been so pervasive in our community, one, we've got to literally put more stringent um, policies in place and hold folks accountable so that there is some accountability. People who steal do not get held accountable. The second thing I think is really important is that we really have to um, hold this process where we're talking about voting it's so decentralized that in this city right. they do it this way this state they do it this way you know i just found out yesterday that in texas and houston county they're actually going to have 24-hour voting that is amazing to me right how did that come about because there were democrats progressive democrats in houston county that made that happen so when we vote and when we're participating in the process we also have to put people who are progressive and have elements like that, that can actually expand it for us. And then I think the third and final thing is, he who shows up to vote, is you, that's where you get your power. If you don't show up, it's kind of like I said, a gifted horse, you know, like you got to open your mouth. Like if you want to get fed, you got to open your mouth. The, the bottom line is, if we want to build power in our communities, we've got to show up in every single way in multiple strategies to really be able to take that power. So one, that we're holding people accountable, we're working against our interests and we're putting people in office who are courageous that will make some change that we want. Thank you so much for that, Latasha. I actually wanna get the rest of the panel, uh, their voices in here. Uh, before we do, I know we're getting some comments on Black Enterprise. Um, Evan Masternardi says, I completely agree with Latasha as voting as a tool and the way to create the most marginalized benefit to the most marginalized communities. Thank you so much. And um, Marie Canty says, carrying on, on with believing all, all Blacks should vote. That's not true, but carrying, carrying on with believing all Blacks should vote Democrats. Um, and that was an ongoing thread. But you, know, you, you spoke about the power of the vote. Um, Latasha, and we've had a number of conversations here at Be Heard online and offline about, you know, the power, or maybe it's debatable, of protest votes, not voting. Um, I want to actually get your voice in here, Tammy, because, you know, we've had these conversations about how young people, in particular, the, the polls show that when it comes to younger people, especially young, younger uh, Black people, people of color, they're not as enthused 
to run to the polls. Um, some may even be withholding their vote as a protest vote. Um, so Tammy, what, what do you say to your counterparts, you know, those who are younger who are saying like, I understand, you know, the history behind voting, but I don't feel, I don't feel that motivated enough to go to the polls. Like, can you relate to that, Tammy? You know, I, I actually do kind of relate to it. And I know that a lot of liberals get mad at me for this, but I don't really believe in the term protest vote. Because while I do understand, I do understand that voting is a very powerful tool. However, fundamentally to me, voting is a right of citizenship. It is something blessed, a gift that you can do with or do not with as you please. If someone gives me a Christmas sweater, I'm allowed to cut it into a crop top or I don't have to ever wear it if I don't want to. But nobody's going to tell me that I have to wear that sweater on a certain day every year because I was given that sweater. That's not right. If it's a gift, it's an unconditional gift. And that's how I feel about a vote. I think a lot of younger people on the topic of voter suppression, I love talking to youth and younger people about voter suppression because you can really see how these tactics over time infiltrate our community and change the mindset about democracy. It isn't just that they're trying to mess up these elections by throwing votes, which they are. They absolutely are. It's that they also put down our communities by teaching us that not only should we not go to the polls, but our votes don't matter and they will never matter because we aren't going to fund you. It's going to be difficult to vote. Why should you bother if you go? And that's something that I think is definitely on the radar of most youth and that we need to talk about when we talk about voters suppression. I can't get angry at an 18 or a 19 year old that is going to the polls for the first time and maybe someone who was voting in the primaries out in that one county in Texas had to wait seven hours in line to do so. That's crazy and that should not be your introduction to being a citizen of this country, especially when you then have the right to go fight and die in foreign wars. So for me, I kind of feel like it is relatable and it's sad, but I do hold out hope that vote that groups like Black Voters Matter and other organizations that are fighting voter suppression are trying to educate on what we can do to battle voter suppression, even as we feel like we have to go to the polls this November. Because ultimately, without that, the youth are never going to think their votes matter and they're never going to go to the polls. Oh, I'm Stanley, did you want to chime in? Yeah, just, just real quick to kind of like piggyback off of something Latasha said, or at least I guess editorialize it. Voting is a lot like love. Um, voting and love with no action is just a thing. And I think that where a lot of people get mixed up at is that they think like we're told vote, vote, vote because your ancestors did it or because some person got beat up by some other white person. So now you get to do it for free. And those are very important. But voting is an action that should be considered a contact sport because it's step one. And whether you think, whether you like the candidate that wins or not, people who are elected into office feel a deep need to be accountable to their base. What do you think Trump is doing? Trump is literally being accountable to his 35% of people who don't season their food, who have sex with their siblings and hate black people. And he is being consistently accountable to them. Just the same way that in a local race, the candidate who ran on say, I don't know, getting a rent freeze, when they get into office, they fight for a rent freeze. But what's everyone else's interest? And that's why it's important to be, not just vote, but be active with your vote. I'm voting for this reason. And then circle back. You wouldn't hire somebody for a job and disappear for four months, four years, and then come back and be like, all right, let's see how you did. You're engaged, you're doing quality evaluations, you're checking in, you're having conversations. And that's the part of the process that we really have to dig deeper into. Absolutely. So, Latasha, they brought up really good points. Um, and I do just want to circle back to see what initiatives you're taking, particularly to engage younger voters. What um, I think Tammy and I touched upon is that I, I, it, from my from from my reading and reports, it seems like that coalition um, is sometimes the hardest to break through to get them to show up to the polls. However, we did see a lot of energy when uh, Bernie was in the primaries. You know, I saw a lot of my, you know, far leftist friends, you know, amped up and ready to vote for Bernie, but I'm having these conversations and they're like, I don't know if I'm going to vote. Um, you know, 
come November, since you know Bernie is not on the on the ballot. And if I do vote, it's definitely not going to be for one of the two main candidates. So thank you. I I'm, I so appreciate uh, many of the things that um, Tammy and and Stanley say. How you really feel, brother? Um, <laughs> tell us how you really feel. He always but, does. I know. I know. Um, I do want to. I want to raise something just to illustrate a point. You know, I don't, how many of you all even how many of you all have worked a job that you didn't like? Did you go? Did you go get your check? You damn right. Why? Because I need that money. Because I need my damn money. I'm raising this is at the end of the day, voting ain't about you liking somebody, your friends. I'm like, Drake, now I don't need no new friends. I'm talking about power. Ultimately, I have worked for people that I didn't like, but at the end of the day, I'm going to get my check because it is my check and my resources at the point until I can do better to get another job, to do better, but at the end of the day, as long as I'm in this capitalist society, I need money. At the end of the day, in this space, as long as you live in this country right now, as it currently exists, there's going to be a decision made about you. You can't even die and your family um, collect the, 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 the money, the insurance money without having a death certificate. Every single aspect of our lives is actually, there is some kind of policy that is decided by voting. And I don't know about other people, but anything that is gonna have an have a impact on my life, I'm gonna be a part of that. The second part of that is it's almost like we're gonna withhold the vote. Let me go to a basketball game. If we down at the basketball game and we tied and it's only a couple of seconds, um, a second on the clock, and you know that there is a, you know that there is a referee who is biased. What you gonna believe? We gonna withhold the shot. We not gonna shoot because we gonna prove that this is a bad. We trying to win. We're trying. Anybody that's thinking any other way, you're not thinking like a winner. What you thinking about? But to me, this is how you're thinking. It's almost kind of like my grandmother used to say to me all the time. My grandfather actually. Do you want to be right or do you want to win? Mm. Like at the end of the day, that's a that's a question. You can have your opinions and all of that. Do you want to be right or do you want to win? And win for me is not contingent. It's not saying this candidate makes me win. Win for me means that whatever I can do when I know that my community is suffering, that I know that my community needs resources, when I know that my community is under attack, anything that I can do to release some of the harm to my community is a win. It ain't about them Republicans. It ain't about them Democrats. It ain't about those candidates. It's literally about what is the most strategic and tactical decision I need to make to reduce some harm in my community so I can build this thing. Most of the time, people who are saying that they're withholding the vote don't do no work, are not fighting for power, are not doing anything. I'm, I'm, I'm really saying it, and I'm not saying it in a way to be disrespectful, I'm saying that this is not a participation game. This is a power game. And we're going to have to get real about what we are de dealing with. Because I don't know if any of you all have been in courtrooms. I have been in a courtroom where I can tell you that when there was a certain DA in that courtroom and another certain DA, that that meant years on the lives of my people. I can tell you when I went in a judge and one judge would give uh, 20, 20 years for a marijuana charge when another judge may give something differently. My point is it does matter. And for us not to say that it matters to the extent I think that that is problematic. Now, when we're talking about young folks, what I love, like you saying, what I love about young folks is one, they don't have a particular loyalty to the party as my mother and other generations had, which I actually think is really powerful because I don't think that any of us should be to, to any beholden to anybody but a black agenda. Let me be real clear about that. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think that in that context though, when we're talking about in the context of young people and how they engage, those are the folks I work with. When we're talking about going to the streets and, and people are saying, well, I don't vote because I believe in the process, Instead of me trying to evangelize them and turn them in and, and convince them that voting is the best thing ever, that's not what I do. What we do is we actually listen. The very first thing we, we say is we affirm, you're not crazy. If you're a black person and you've been in this process and you see that there are some things in this process that you think are not the way they're supposed to be, you're actually right. When you're saying that voting is limited, you're absolutely right. When you're saying that you voted for somebody before and you didn't see the kind of changes, we understand that then what I actually do is I get in a conversation with them, but tell me what it is that you care about. 
And then once we talk about what it is that they care about, I make the connection to why that particular election is relevant, right? Because right? at the end of the day, it may not solve everything, but it does make a difference who is in office if you are trying to win, not be right. Now, there's some people just want to be right. They want to have the right opinion. They want to be on the right, whatever. That's fine. I don't, I don't have that need. My ego don't have that need. I'm beyond that. And I, I'm one of them folks that used to have, do that too, right? And perhaps I do that sometimes now. But uh, fundamentally, this is about power. And so the, 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 two, the couple of points I'll just say with young folks that I think is a reorientation of this process, that one, instead of us trying to look for the next um, candidate the next Jesus to come on a horse to save us all, that we be realistic that at the end of the day, our goal is to really vote for someone on alignment around that is a tactical strategy of where we'll reduce the most harm for our community. That's one. Number two, I think young people who are not seeing the kind of candidates that we want to see, that it is your time. That this is the first time in history that young people have actually eclipsed the baby boomers. I'm in Generation X. We didn't have the numbers. Young folks now have the numbers. You literally have the numbers to shift the policy and the, in uh, the entire space in this country. And the third and the final thing that I say is, while I am working with Black Voters Matter, while we're working to get people to participate in the process, I always tell, ask people this question, what is your radical reimagining of America and this nation? So what if you didn't think of yourself just as a citizen, what if you thought of yourself as a founder? a founder of the new America, a founder of every single system. All of these systems that we know have been biased towards our community. Why can't we envision a way to change them? If systems were created by man, they could be changed, right? And so fundamentally, I think it's a matter of we got to know what time it is. And I think on some level, I don't, I'm not one of those folks that I think because folks are older that they got the right answer or because they're young, they got that right answer. I'm not one of those. I think those who seek the truth, and do the work and the learning and the answering and, and the listening, that that's just shaping. So what my organization has been doing is also creating a space and a pipeline for young people, young leaders to lift them up, to be able to give them resources, to really be able to hear right. what our people want and really explore some new ways of being. Thank you so much for that, Latasha. Not only for um, the, the work that you're doing, your commitment, to empowering, you know, our these these communities, our communities, and especially the next generation who will be leading these communities. I think that the work you're doing is so needed, and I want to thank you for that. We do. I don't know where the time went, but we have, you know, run out of time. But you bless us with a word. This is getting me ready for the Patty and Gladys night. Um, um <laughs> is coming up later, so I'll, I'm just so. I'm feeling fulfilled today. Um, I do want to just give some final remarks to the rest of the panel. Uh, you know, Stanley, we spoke a lot about not just, you know, voting, you know, just to vote, but the power in the Black vote, the power in our votes. What are your final remarks as we um, look towards the November election and making sure that our voices are protected at the polls? Well, the Black vote is an important vote. It's the most important vote, in my opinion. And let me just leave you with some basic information. In 2016, for the first time in two elections, white people turned out at a higher clip than black people to vote. And the majority of those white people voted for Donald Trump. Both of Obama's elections, the black voter turnout was higher than white voter turnout because the black vote was motivated. When we turn out and we vote, we win. But also, once you're done voting in a presidential election, it is really important to understand that you need to be wielding that power in local elections as well. Local elections are just as impactful and important as presidential elections. So make sure you're, you're voting at all levels and you're being active in all levels as much as you can. Thank you for that, Stanley. Um, Tammy, you are our problematic fave. Uh, you've been very vocal in the past about voting and not voting. Um, you know, but just to wrap up this conversation, what would you say needs to be done to make sure that our interests are represented at the polls come this November? You know what, today, I don't know if it's because Miss Latasha got me in the spirit, looking all fine, but I'm not going to be problematic. I want to be helpful too. Today, my final words are, if somebody is telling you, if your own government is telling you that you can't do something, you better believe you better do it. I think that if you are ready to vote, 
and you want to put your voice out there, you need to make sure that you go out there and you do so at all costs. Bring multiple forms of ID, bring bills and residency proof if you need to, wear a mask, bring sanitizer, bring your own pen, social distance, stay in line all day if you have to. But don't let anybody tell you that you can't vote or to try to throw your vote when that is your right as a citizen. The last thing is, I want y'all to know your state laws. Here in New York, according to election law 3-110, you can actually be paid up to two hours on your workday for the election. That means no employer is allowed to tell you that you must work and you cannot go to the polls because of your job. So if you are working, make sure to let your employer know that perhaps you live in a district or a community that is suppressed and you might need extra time at the polls. And if there is an issue, please visit workplacefairness.org, search voting rights, find your council member and talk about it because they can't stop us. If you live in any other state, that website provides great resources and lets you know if your job will protect your voting right, if you will be paid for it, and how you can get your vote no matter what affecting your check. So thank, thank you, you for teaching us so much, Ms. Brown. And yes, I just want to give you the final word, um, Latasha. Please let us know one more time about your upcoming Hip Hop Political Summit on National Voter Registration Day. So they'll be able to see it on Revolt. We'll stream it on Revolt TV. Um, if you go to the National Hip Hop Summit, you can find us. We're also on Black Voters Matter, www.blackvotersmatterfund.org. Um, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, Miss Latasha Brown, or Black Voters MTR. Text us. If you want to, seven, we matter to 797979. But stay in contact. We're going to have a ball. We're going to have a conversation about voter suppression. It's going to be on and popping. So please join us on the 22nd for the Hip Hop Summit. Absolutely. And I'll just leave everyone with this. If you have not been convinced to go out and vote, particularly come November, I'll tell you this. One reason you should vote is simply because they don't want you to. And I'll leave that right there. Thank you for everyone who chimed in, who is watching us live, particularly on Facebook, on Black Enterprise. Thank you so much for the comments and the engagement. We appreciate it. Thank you for so those who are watching us via Zoom and Be Heard. We love our loyal Be Heard family and followers who have been supporting us from day one. And continue to watch Be Heard talk on Black Enterprise for the next several weeks. We will be unpacking the 2020 election, the power of the Black vote, and what needs to be done so that we can make an impact in all years moving forward. So we'll see you again next Sunday, guys. Thank you. Peace, guys.